Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, 206 KSL News Time. Joined on the line by Salt Lake County District Attorney Sim Gill. The District Attorney and I uh, get together here on these airwaves from time to time to talk about uh, things, and in particular, we have lately been talking about charges filed stemming from uh, the protests which have taken to the streets here in Salt Lake City, particularly the protests and the demonstrations and the violence which we saw on the streets of Salt Lake City on the evening of May 3rd. That was two Saturdays ago. Uh, if you remember, it was Debbie Dejanovic and I who were on these airwaves for almost six hours narrating what we were seeing transpire in the streets below as we sat uh, here narrating things. And as the days have gone by, uh, at various levels, we have seen charges filed for the behavior undertaken uh, that evening. And there have now been even more charges filed in conjunction with the overturning and the burning of that Salt Lake City police car. Uh, joining me on the line to discuss this and a few other things is, as I said, Salt Lake County District Attorney Sim Gill. Sir, thank you for joining us. How are you? Always a pleasure to be here, Lee. Thank you. T tell me about these new charges. Well, you know, uh, I think everybody saw that uh, there were a lot of people who showed up to protest, and there were many who were, did it peacefully. But there were some who engaged in uh, what I would say violent or, uh, or de destructive behavior. And one of those things was the turning over of the police car that was set on fire. Uh, there's a couple of individuals who have been identified that are being prosecuted federally by the U.S. Attorney's Office. Uh, but there are also the other individuals who engaged in that uh, behavior, and they were at the, at the local level. So we've identified thus far about four individuals who we filed against on that, which is uh, criminal mischief, uh, first-degree felony, which was group-enhanced, as well as a third-degree uh, felony, which is a riot. Uh, and then we also yesterday filed on a couple of other individuals who uh, went and threw rocks at the courthouse and broke some windows through there. Uh, they were identified and have been subsequently charged. And then, of course, you'll remember that uh, Mr. McCormick, the individual who showed up with the bow and arrow and pointed mm. at uh, protesters, and he was uh, earlier charged as well. So, as I've said, whether it's an individual uh, protester uh, on civilian violation of uh, violence or a civilian on protester or even law enforcement violence, we want to know. Uh, we, this, uh, this is about preserving everybody's uh, constitutional rights to engage in civil uh, protests, but anybody who engaged in violent or destruction of property, 
uh, if we're identified, then we're going to hold them accountable. Talk to me for a moment about what distinguishes the uh, the local charges in associated or in association with the overturning and burning of the police car from the federal charges, which we have learned uh, been filed by uh, Attorney Huber. So uh, what uh, U.S. Attorney Huber is doing is that he's looking at the setting of the fire. So his ah. focus is on the actors who actually participated uh, or started the fire. Uh, and then uh, what we're looking at, because they had a federal provision, so they had expressed a desire to prosecute that, so they are uh, exercising that authority. And then uh, you remember there were multiple individuals who were involved in the overturning and then the bashing of windows uh, in terms of uh, the destruction of the car before the car was set on fire. So we're looking at those as the state interest, and we're filing on those. And then, of course, the, the uh, Mr. McCormick with the bow and arrow. But, but if, I, if I could interrupt, the, yeah. the, the fire is what distinguishes it. The setting of the fire is what uh, introduces Mr. Huber and his office and, and federal charges. Uh, absolutely. It's the Arson Act, uh, uh, the setting of the fire. Absolutely. Fascinating. I interrupted. You, you were talking about no, Mr. No. McCormick. No, and then, uh, and then I said, then of course, you know, as we identified these two other individuals who uh, went out and uh, uh, at the courthouse started throwing rocks through and uh, broke windows, uh, causing uh, almost $4,000 in damages there. So those were separately uh, identified as well. And so those are state charges. So our distinction is that one, uh, uh, one specific thing is the arson component, which is being prosecuted under the federal uh, uh, prosecution. I see. Uh, shifting gears a, a bit, you recently signed your name to a joint statement from elected prosecutors on the murder of George Floyd and police violence. Uh, one of the elements uh, of that document talks about independent oversight structures and how they should be created uh, and empowered to hold police accountable. accountable. Uh, phrased generally, these are civilian oversight boards. Will you talk to me a little bit about your rationale for supporting a move like that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, what this is really indicative of is uh, uh, the disconnect that uh, many in our community are feeling uh, that uh, from the decisions that are being made, the policies that are being implemented, and ultimately because they uh, are feeling that, uh, that these public institutions, which are funded by tax dollars, uh, really do not have the kind of interactive civilian oversight and uh, so it gives uh, people a avenue, uh, a participatory avenue, uh, to engage in the, that oversight. And uh, there are different models from around the country. There is not any one particular model. But I think the point here, the underlying premise is our citizens want to have uh, some interaction and some oversight, and, uh, and so they can have that oversight in a transparent way. And in a democracy, our public institutions work for our citizens, and if we can help facilitate that, then we can actually be more transparent, we can build upon the trust, and then uh, our community has a sense of responsibility as well. So I think that's a good idea, and I think uh, what, however we fashion that out, it gives access uh, to our community of citizens. So myself and 39 other prosecutors, when we did that open letter uh, the Friday before the protest started, mm -hmm. Uh, that really is a overhaul, uh, overarching look at different levels of structure uh, that uh, that are serving as barriers to give that transparency and access to our community, and that's why we support that, and I support that. I I'm aware of a of a board 
which oversees the Salt Lake City Police Department as well as West Valley City. Uh, aside from those, have you had occasion to, to speak with chiefs and uh, maybe Sheriff Rivera about this notion as you have expressed your support for it? Well, what are their attitudes that you're aware of? Well, you know, I think, I think by and large, overall, there is a genuine commitment to want to do the right thing, uh, to want to give access. And, uh, and I think these protests most recently have really brought that to the forefront. Look, I've been having this conversation leave for 12 years. Uh, and, uh, and I've been saying that we, uh, we owe it to our citizens. We owe it to our community to give them greater transparency and access. That's why I publish all my use of force uh, reports. They're there for everybody to see. That's why I advocated for an independent task force to uh, investigate use of force. So I think that there have been some historical resistance to it because people get very nervous. Uh, but I think we can find that balance between uh, the role that our citizens play and, uh, the, and the job that our law enforcement are daily asked to go out and do, which can be very, very dangerous. Transparency is not a bad thing. Uh, it, it, uh, you know, people have always been hesitant to want to let that uh, civilian oversight come in or interaction come in. I think there's an opportunity for us to bridge that divide to be open about it, because men and women in law enforcement do incredible work out there, and they serve our community with great distinction. But for those who may not, uh, then I think having that input uh, is an important part to build that trust that has eroded over the years for many, many in our community. All right. Uh, Salt Lake County District Attorney Sim Gill, we'll have to leave it at that. Thank you so much for your time on the air with me today, explaining these charges and your position on these civilian oversight boards. Uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you, as always. All righty. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you about a few things. Uh, a television show from my youth has been canceled, and it's got me upset. I'll go through those details next on Live Mike. Uh, spoiler alert, cops. They canceled cops. Can you believe it? I'll share with you my thoughts next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.